0: Hey everybody, I just wanted to jump out ahead of this episode and let you all know, as you will hear, uh, I tested out a new microphone for this recording, the Elgato Wave 3, and unfortunately I'm still having some issues with it where I'm getting some weird audio glitches. Uh, It's something that I'm working on. I think it can be fixed, and it's unfortunately user error, but uh, I did not get it fixed for this episode. Luckily, it doesn't happen until the later half of the episode. Uh, But I don't think it's so bad that it will make you not want to finish. So hopefully, uh, if you can bear with us in the next couple weeks, I should have this ironed out by the time we get to some new episodes. Uh, Thank you and enjoy the show. to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How are you doing this week? I am all right. Uh, Summer's still summer, but I'm really excited and I want to, you know, put this up ahead. I am actually using a new microphone this episode, and that's that's exciting to kind of get to test drive this new Elgato Wave 3 microphone.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about that because I, well, I I got to see it when I was in, and... Mm -hmm. You know, and you've sent me already some recordings. And it sounded mm-hmm. really good, um, and I there's a, there's uh, somebody Daniel, um, I might recommend that mic to as a starter mic. So
0: awesome, that'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to find out if he ends up getting it.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, it'll be. This is a good test run for it.
0: Yeah. So if you notice anything different in this episode compared to the last ones, that might be it. Uh, but uh, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, everything comes out good. Right. But uh, what about you? How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. uh, As you know, I've done a lot of traveling lately. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately, I've done a lot of traveling for family stuff, and uh, the family stuff's unfortunate, and um, it's unfortunate because of corona. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's nice to be kind of home and settled. I think I'm done traveling for the summer. Um, Although I'm I'm looking at, I've been thinking about you, because I've been looking at our yard needs to be cut and it's just so hot (laughs) and like I get to choose when to do it and time of day and like break it up back front yard in two days and and you don't get that luxury.
0: (laughs) You know I once had somebody that asked me he's like man what's you know what's it like being in lawn service and I and I I, it felt so glib in the moment but you know when I thought about it I was like man that's actually an effective way to you know describe what it is you know they text me like what's it like and I said Think about every time that you've done your yard and how much it sucked. Now imagine repeating that for eight hours, five <laughs> times a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's... it's... <laughs> oh, man. One day, I'll be done with it. Yeah, I will hopes... cut my final yard, and I will, I'll never think about it again. Right, right. You start paying somebody mm, yeah. to do yours. <laughs> no, I'm going all rocks. I'm going to go minimal. <laughs> I don't want any flowers. I don't want any grass. I just want to... Nothing. Well, I tell you
1: what, I was in Arizona, and that's what it was.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just it's more it's more environmentally friendly, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. it was rocks, pebbles. Uh, it was desert. I mean, it was you know 106, um, but it was a dry 106. It wasn't the humidity we get.
0: Yeah. <sighs> One day.
1: Well, as we're waiting for that day to come, um, if y'all get a chance, make sure and leave us a review uh, and a rating. It really will help us out. Uh, the feedback and trying to help us um, improve our show.
0: Yeah, every little every little feedback helps guide and, uh, you know, keeps us doing what we're doing and making sure that the audience has an input as well.
1: Yeah, of course. Love the audience input.
0: But of course, if you don't know what's going on, if this is your first episode, we have been doing a rewatch of Daredevil on Netflix. We are currently on Season 1, Episode 12, entitled The Ones We Leave Behind. So immediately we open up with Karen tossing out the gun that she used to kill Wesley in the previous episode. Um, after she disposes of it, she does return back to her apartment, and she's clearly uh, struggling to come back down from that moment, and she is drinking. Eventually she does find herself asleep, and when she wakes up, she is startled by Wilson Fisk in her apartment, only to find out that it was just a dream all along.
1: Yeah. You know what? We, we've we been talking about this a lot this um, the difference between watching it week to week versus mm-hmm. binge watching. As I say this, I want to be careful because I'm not saying like I didn't like this scene, um, mm-hmm. but it, there's clearly a benefit of binge watching the end of episode 11 and the beginning of episode 12,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because um, we end right on the ringing of fist trying to call Wesley um and we pick right up with her ready to throw the gun into the river mm-hmm. which is a very classic thing to do i think in most movies and shows
0: you see taking place in new york easy clean disposal of the uh, evidence
1: needs to remember she doesn't doesn't clean her fingerprints very well so <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Uh, You know, personally, I I am glad that we're dealing with the aftermath of Karen killing Wesley. Yeah. As as much as this series is focused on the no death rule, it would have been weird if they didn't take the time to service just how much it's messed with her. Because, I mean, we're, you know, we're in the penultimate episode of the season. They could have easily just let that be its big moment and continue moving forward with the plot. But they do kind of show how much it's affected her uh, with the way that she drinks a whole bottle of I believe whiskey yeah and uh, and even after she gets up from from falling asleep she's reaching for more alcohol in the fridge so um, it, it's sad to see uh, but it's good work on their part to do that right.
1: and the other thing I liked about this is they didn't actually mention this but but it was nice to it, for me at least it was implied you know and it's kind of what I got out of it. And, it and it shows kind of the intelligence of uh Karen's character in this in this moment that if Fisk owns as much of the police force and as much as he does to have him on the payroll um it, you can see why here and the rest of like she doesn't call 911 right away mm-hmm. kind of thing like um and well a mix of this would be the second time she's found in a murder scene where mm-hmm. it looks like she's the one that did it well in this case she did but you know I mean it was just kind of a smart knowing those things it, it makes sense that the way she played out this episode well some of it but yeah
0: <laughs> you know and that's a good catch on the detailing the smarts of Karen because we both you and I both were upset with the way it seemed like they had taken away a lot of her agency right uh, in that previous episode where she was doing silly things like not locking the door uh, that just felt so character breaking yeah um so to to see this here, um, that, you know, that brings back some of that good character uh, development they had lost. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I, I want to say this as well, you know, because part of the whole conversation, you know, imaginative or not with Fisk was that idea of killing getting easier with time. Uh, mm-hmm. Almost like Fisk is coaching her on how to be this right. uh, malicious person. That I think that's good work. They did, they did a really good job with that. But something that I think I wish they would have done, which they've only kind of tiptoed this entire season, was, you know, they've teased Karen's shady history. Uh Uh-huh. And... I, if they would have detailed it a little bit more, they didn't have to give us everything, but just a little bit more, I think it would have weighed in to some of these decisions she was making, like you were talking about not calling the police. To know the things that she's done in the past, how that's affecting what she's doing now in the present, I think would have just been a little bit more satisfying, you know, narratively. Yeah. But that, that's just nitpicky on my part. I just wish they would have been there for that.
1: Right. No, and that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. They the kind of want to see that and to kind of... Um, have a little bit more of that backstory in the character I think out of that fisk interaction for me what i what I really liked about there was kind of the burden he he kind of emphasized like taking someone's mm-hmm. life they've had memories they've had all these experiences and you're the one that ended all that and and the burden that is to carry um, and kind of playing on guilt you know mm-hmm. um, and to see that it was, you know, a dream. It was her own guilt, you know, yeah. Um, that was talking to her through Fisk.
0: I will say, to, to put a pin in it here for when, you know, we discuss it later on, I I, I do think it, they employed the whole fake-out effectively. Oh, yeah. Um, and we can touch more on that later, but I, it feels kind of, because you always have that, like, pushback against the, oh, it was a dream the entire time notion, but... I'm glad that they took the time to do it here in the beginning.
1: Yeah, I, I'll be honest. From the first, you know, couple of times I've seen this, I forgot about this dream sequence, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, I kind of had that oh crap moment uh, <laughs> when Fish showed up because they got me with the she she was awake, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so I thought they did I thought they did really well with that.
0: So from there, we do cut to title sequence, and when we get back. And I'm just gonna go ahead and preface this. A lot of these scenes, the way they are structured, there's a lot of meat to them. So give, them, you know, bear with me while I kind of go through this, and then we'll we'll delve in and and discuss the moments in the the scene. But. After we get from the title sequence, uh, we see Karen has returned to the Nelson and Murdoch offices. Again, she's still upset and and worried. And she is startled by the fact that Foggy is actually in the offices as well. Uh, You know, they have their exchange back and forth. And then eventually, uh, as Foggy's leaving, Matt joins the offices as well. There's some awkward tension between all three of them. And the scene ends with some conversation between Karen and Matt.
1: Yeah, they, there was a lot packed into this scene right here. You know, I liked that exchange between her and Foggy that, well, okay, first, let me, let me say what I liked about this exchange, and then I'm going to kind of step out, step into MCU proper for a moment. Okay. Where Foggy says something to the effect of, things are going to be all right. And Karen says, how can you be sure? And Foggy says because I have to be. Um, mm-hmm. what, what I thought was interesting is this is one of those moments or lines that are, it's kind of cheesy, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it works. Um, and now, stepping outside of that in the MCU proper, I remember watching the trailer, or showing the trailer to my students. Uh, anytime an MCU trailer drops, I my students know to ask, and no, I'm not going to turn them down, and we'll watch it in <laughs> class. Um, but Captain America had that line that was, you know, kind of cheesy, but I thought works, you know, Black Widow. This is gonna work, Steve. It has to. I don't know what I'm gonna do if it doesn't, you know. And I
0: I love that line so much. Yeah,
1: I remember. I love that line so much. My students hated it. They thought it was <laughs> terrible. And I and I loved that line so much because to me it just it, not only was it great, but like sometimes cheesy works, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was something about that moment between Foggy and Karen where. It's the whole Sam and Frodo. Why do we fight? because oh, sometimes things are just worth fighting for kind of moment mm. uh, that are that are just fantastic.
0: And to play with that a little bit, I think I think when cheesy can work is when it's coming from someone who's incredibly sincere. Yeah, and obviously, you know, that's who Captain America is. He is a sincere person. And to highlight that cheesiness, you know, go back to the original Avengers, where Colson's detailing the new suit. And he's like, oh, it's a little old-fashioned. And they're like, oh, I think the world needs a little bit old-fashioned right. right now. So that totally fits in line with the character there. Oh, yeah. And with Foggy, you know, one of the notes that I was going to jump into is for as much flack as I gave Foggy for not delivering some of his aligns effectively in the Nelson versus Murdoch fight, uh-huh. I, I got to say he's at his best when he is being sincere and apologetic. And it's because... That's coming from a place where Foggy has been the strongest the entire season, and that's that you know the friendship, and so that being the driving force is what's helping him to be able to deliver those cheesy lines.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I think you, I think you're right on on that. You know, and there, it's weird because that's such a good like line and cheesy moment for him, but he also doesn't sound weird. Slightly reminded me of Leland a little bit, hmm. where. He like he had this realization that like despite his feelings, the business must go on. Right where he's like, yeah. he's like, yeah, I thought we're, I thought about what you're talking about. Don't worry, I'm still we still got to stop Fisk, you know. And and so like even though these weirdness is going on with the with them, he recognizes business must go on, and that was you know kind of Leland's approach.
0: And I like because I mean the last we left off with Matt and Foggy is that they're not on clear terms and. Foggy coming around to realizing, okay, this is bigger than us. You can see that dam start to break. I don't remember how they patch things up. I'm assuming they do. But him giving up a little bit of space here to to bring that in and even go so far as not calling the man in the black mask a terrorist. Right. It, it just shows where Foggy's at emotionally. And I, I like that.
1: Yeah. I, it's, a,
0: it's, it's a maturity that I, we can discuss it later on in the later half of this episode. But it's a sense of maturity that I didn't pick up from Matt
1: you know what it, it's funny cuz cuz right here you know they cross paths as matt showing up right no words are spoken and i got the sense that matt blames foggy for this
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know in in the sense of um oh i forgot the line and i didn't jot this line down but i but you know he was like oh i can't remember now something about like tell foggy that and karen was like well
0: oh th- i got it okay it, so Karen, like, tells Matt, it's like he blames himself for Elena, and I think Matt says something like, well, he shouldn't, and she goes, well, you should tell him that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I just feel like in there, Matt still has this sense that or Matt blames Foggy uh, for the breakdown of their relationship right here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I wrote down, this part here with Matt makes me flip sides to Foggy. Uh, him not giving up any grounds in this argument, uh, and he doesn't even seem to try and smooth things over with the way it's affecting, you know, Foggy and Matt's relationship or the way it's bleeding over to Karen as well. It's 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 just childish.
1: Yeah, it is. And and honestly, here, the big reason why I didn't write that down is one of the things I was fascinated with is, you know, Matt asks the question, are you okay? Or no, 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 he says, Karen, did something happen? Mm-hmm. And... Like, immediately, I'm thinking, you know, human lie detector. And Karen's response was, yes, the world fell apart. Didn't you notice? But we all know that's not exact. I mean, while it's true, something did happen, right? She mm-hmm. just, mur- she murdered Wesley. And so my thought was, did Karen just successfully lie to Matt? Hmm.
0: I have a rebuttal, but I don't, if we're going to go chronologically, I, I think it, it might be better to bring this back up later in the final scene with Matt and Karen.
1: okay, okay, so let's, we do that, but but I'm just saying' it was like,, uh, she just pulled it off. She lied to him, uh,
0: yeah, so you're you're bringing up this point about Karen kind of almost giving up this this feeling that something went wrong. She obviously doesn't tell Matt about what happened with Wesley. But again, so far in this episode, we've been tracking that level of guilt that she's felt. And I just wanted to circle back for a little bit and point out how. <laughs> you know, Foggy couldn't have known, but how poor choice of words on Foggy's part about the whole, how can you call yourself a human being after killing someone? Mm-hmm. And I, again, to go back to that that line of sincerity, it just hits harder when you contrast how sincere he was being to her before and then, you know, hitting on a very sensitive button without realizing it. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. You know what? They've done that a lot with Foggy, you know, between him and Matt uh, and a number of things where he is... I don't want to say that that's, like, the only reason Foggy's there, but but it seems like that's a, a pointed use they wanted out of Foggy this whole uh, season. Mm-hmm. So, meanwhile, um, Fisk is at Vanessa's bedside waiting for, you know, at this point, Wesley's phone call, return phone call, and waiting um, for improvement on Vanessa. Uh, she does wake up. She starts to question, uh, how did she get here, and... Fisk explains what happened at the the benefit and then de- describes and explains his plans to keep her safe.
0: Man, it feels weird to say this, but they've done such a great job with Vanessa and Fisk's relationship. And, and why it feels weird is because so much of it is like controlling and possessive on Fisk's part. But their chemistry is just really good. Like it feels real. It is in such a short amount of time with them.
1: Oh, it is. They they the two of them they did so well with the directing, the casting. You know the acting choices uh, on on the actress on the actress part. Uh, it was really really well done.
0: Again, it's only been, what, maybe three episodes since they've actually been together, but there feels like there's already this embedded history with them. Well, and, I,
1: and we kind of tracked it a little bit about her hesitation of being with them mm-hmm. to, she's like, yeah, I expect you to get revenge. <laughs> like, like she's fully embraced <laughs> the lifestyle.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because I, I think we even talked about it in, I believe it was on World on Fire, where she watched the explosion. Yeah. Uh, you know, right after giving up the gun, right. you know, that's the moment she fully bought in. Right. And that, you know, in to justify the means, whether or not Fisk was being honest on the idea that he sold her, you know, she's completely by his side. And we see the results of that here in this hospital bed.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, she is completely bought in. What And because of that, like, I had I have this note that says, I'd actually kind of agree with Vanessa. I'd want to stay, too. Or she doesn't want mm-hmm. to leave the country. She wants to stay. I, I agree with her. I'd want to stay too, especially if I've gotten that far and have bought in that much.
0: I do want to, uh, again, you you pointed out this about how the, I already forgot her name, Vanessa's actor is phenomenal between the subtle cues that she was giving with the poison drink, the way she was kind of like looking at it and, and you know, you could tell that she was starting to have a reaction to it. To, you know, in this episode where even with her weakened delivery of her lines, because obviously she is, you know, posted up in a bed and and recovering from it, she's still able to be that charismatic person that she's been. And that's just great acting on her part.
1: Oh, yeah. Before we get to this next scene, I want a quick side note. Mm -hmm. Fisk gets called out by Francis, and this is when he lets them know they found the body uh, of Wesley. But I'll be honest, I had two thoughts in my head. The name Francis mm-hmm. throws me off because that's the name of our dog in mm-hmm. the podcast mascot. And so, like, I, I, that's all I could think about. Uh, the other thing, the other note I had in my, you know, superb note-taking skills was if I was as powerful as Fisk, I'm always in something comfortable. Like, I can't imagine wearing the, the suit and dress shoes all the time. Am um, <laughs> I powerful enough? And, like... I'm sorry. I wear whatever the hell I want, and you like it. I'm just that's all.
0: <laughs> I I love the idea of the kingpin just roaming around in a onesie now. Like you're right. He's so powerful. Who's gonna tell him anything? <laughs> see,
1: see, that's how you know Nick Fury is powerful. You know, there at the end of Captain Marvel, when he's walking around with no shoes in this big spaceship, that's power. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you actually got me. Oh man. That, that's definitely power. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I just had to get that quick side note in there.
0: I love it. Oh, man. I got to recompose. Because <laughs> I, I can't stop thinking of the way that Nick Fury was just kind of like moseying around yeah. up there on that spaceship. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah he, he owns <sighs> it. <laughs> he does.
0: So... <laughs> After Fisk gets the phone call, uh, we cut to Fisk staring at Wesley's lifeless body. You know, shortly after Leland arrives, Francis is there to inform both Leland and Fisk the last orders that Wesley gave and what Wesley asked of Francis. And, uh... Fisk isn't too happy about it and begins to take out his frustrations on Francis. Uh, Leland's able to stop it, and they have a discussion about, you know, who it could have been that did this.
1: The biggest takeaway, I'm just going to jump right to this part. The biggest takeaway for me from the scene was Fisk's reaction when he started beating Francis. Mm-hmm. Um, Because two, two things. A, the line, he was my friend. And I don't feel like Francis said anything or did anything that would— Warrant that reaction, no. Um, and it's another one of those things where we've seen Fisk do this before—that kind of childish fit, so to speak. Um, just this irrational—I'm going to throw a fit right here—reaction.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we've seen it all season, but because we're nearing the end game, it just feels that much more volatile, right? Um, and, and and to point out, you know, it's interesting that the last time that we saw Fisk and Wesley together. Fisk struggled to utter the words, thank you to Wesley. Yeah. And so I think there is this level of, obviously, no one deserves the level of beating that that Fisk gave. But you can see, I think it's it's regret that that he wasn't able to convey how much Wesley meant to him. And now he's lost the opportunity to ever do that. Yeah. And so I think that that's that driving force of that rage.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I asked you about that scene where it was the two of them and they had that tender moment. And was mm-hmm. that the first time or was that the most Wesley had ever heard from Fisk verbally, mm-hmm. right? Um, and having said that, like like you just mentioned, he actually didn't really say anything. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of an exchange of glances and Fisk came close to saying it and Wesley had kind of had this knowing nod.
0: Right. And, and carrying on that thread about Fisk's inability to express himself it's not just when he's around others. He's incapable of expressing himself even when he's alone because he, there's a point where it's just him and Wesley's body and he's he's fighting back tears and he's like breathing really heavy and then he composes himself and he starts looking through Wesley's phone. Right. So it's just a consistent um, line with this character about he just cannot express himself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to shift a little bit to Leland right mm-hmm. here because I mm-hmm. felt like Leland's reaction he was genuinely surprised.
0: By Wesley's death or the reaction?
1: Wesley's death.
0: Yeah, I can see that uh, because he, cause he walked in as pompous as he's ever been, and then he's immediately like, oh shit, like, he's yeah. taken back.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, he you have that. He even had, in his own Leland kind of way, felt like he was trying to console him a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this uh, business as usual, hey, you know, can't lose sight now because we're so close, but he had that. Little line. It's unfortunate that not everybody will get to see it, and Mm -hmm. it was almost kind of this. I'm sorry, in his Leland kind of way,
0: right? For as smug as he's been, this was the most sincere that he's been.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's it happens when you get rid of the series MVP.
0: (laughs) Oh man, I think my final note for this scene, and I think this kind of plays into your whole. If you were Fisk, you would wear whatever you would want that was comfortable. On the opposite side, Fisk has never looked older than with the way that he held that phone. Like, it seriously looked like he was someone who had been given a phone for the first time. It was just, like, trying to figure it out. I don't know what was happening there. Well, but
1: uh, okay. In show, it could be that he hasn't ever used a cell phone mm because, you know, probably had Wesley to do it for him. True. That's all I got. (laughs) like like unless the actor himself has never used a cell phone because he has his agent to do it for him but i doubt that because he's pretty active on twitter
0: (laughs) i don't know it it, i don't know why it stood out to me it just it felt off yeah
1: no i i was looking through it it was an interesting choice to kind of look at the phone because because you have that moment you were saying like like trying to have those feelings Mm -hmm. But then immediately going kind of back to business, this investigation, so to speak.
0: Yeah. So after that discovery with Wesley, we do join up with Ben, who's walking alone to his car. Uh, As he's reaching for his keys, Daredevil startles him by making an entrance. Uh, They have a conversation about what they've got and trying to piece together all their information. And it eventually ends with Ben giving him a new lead on where to find Gal's runners.
1: Yeah. Uh, My first note, Ben is slipping.
0: (sighs) I'm going to read my... Mine, man, we know how this episode ends the one time Ben gets startled by Matt, but <laughs> well, hey, i not only that, I put a of sad emoji.
1: I tell you what like he he has been Batman this whole time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it's like it, it, for him to be startled like that though something's off, you know, yeah, um, so i I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, I do. You know, there's things about this series that I remember from the first couple of times I watched it, and there's things that I don't remember. This I remembered. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's hard. Like, I get why they're doing it, but it's just, it doesn't make it any easier. Yeah.
1: Now, I don't think I've ever thought this before, but I will say, and maybe you, you know, you might have a thought on this. I think, I think we even talked about this before, once before. I think Ben knows who Daredevil is.
0: I think so. We talked about how he's such a smart person and is able to put things together, you know, like in episode six where he was able to deduce which police officer was stuck with Matt without even realizing it or with without being able to know for sure until he had Blake and Hoffman confirm it. Yeah. He's good at putting pieces together. Well. And Matt's not exactly the most subtle when it comes to keeping his identity a secret.
1: Right. And, well, and he kind of did it there, right, where Matt said it, let's just say it went the distance. And... He immediately picked up on boxer language, you know. So, yeah, like like he he just has that. And I think that's just how well they wrote this character and how well it was acted to be able mm-hmm. to constantly be having those little subtleties. That's just a part of who he is as a reporter to, to fish out that information.
0: And, and and we've seen Ben as a person who's very on guard because obviously the life that he's lived being a reporter and, and you know, turning heads He, I I would say he's not a person that trusts easily. Mm -hmm. The fact that you see him lean up against the car and smiling real big and and having a jovial, almost jovial conversation with Matt, there's familiarity there. So I think you're right on with him knowing that it's Matt.
1: Well, and he has that little line again where I think he's fishing for something that uh, nobody would look at a blind man twice and and Matt responds, no, they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, that was another indicator of like, he knows. Um, And if he didn't know... It wasn't long before he found out. Although I think in the comic he does find out. I, I think that character did find out in the comic.
0: I do want to say this though. Um, it, being the second to last episode of the season, this really feel has that video game feel where you know after you've gathered all your clues and evidence uh-huh. and you're just sitting there trying to piece it together to see what options you have before entering in the end game. Yeah, that that's what the the biggest feel of this scene was for me.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, because even you know. Uh, Matt had this kind of lay low and he says, Oh, what did you say? Something about like, I, I know where my head's at or something. And I think Anna totally thought the same thing. He's mm-hmm. like point taken, you know, but but it was kind of like this setting the table of, okay, all of y'all had these little bit parts, but we're going to kind of slowly find reasons for, for you guys, for, for Ben, Karen, Foggy to kind of start taking more of a back seat for this final confrontation mm-hmm. towards the end.
0: My final note that I do have for this is, um... Is, you, you know, we talked about the story circle and and how we're at the part of the show where we're making the return journey having changed. Mm-hmm. I love that they use that line comparing Fisk to an animal being backed into a corner right. because it calls back to episode six where Vladimir told Matt, you know, the moment that you put on the mask, you got into a cage with animals. Yeah. Animals don't stop fighting until one dies. So after those episodes, we saw where Matt was struggling with his no death rule and we saw the superhero side of him broken. So in this moment to have him kind of call back to that, I really feel that that's Matt speaking from wisdom and that feels like growth. Fisk is the one that's the animal, not Matt.
1: Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic catch there. And it's good that they, that, you know, to see that kind of played through this instinct because that was Matt's struggle, right? Why is this in me? Why do instinctually I want to let the devil out um, and trying to temper that instinct or maybe how about redirect that instinct into a better better way or better use, which we see in those conversations with Father Latham.
0: Yeah, that mean, because I think he says specifically summon the better angels of your nature. Yeah. So I mentioned at the beginning of the, the episode that the way that this particular episode is structured, uh, there's a lot of meat to these scenes. And the way that they kind of just do quick dip-ins and dip-outs um, w- Normally we, we discuss these in sequential order, but we're going to start to group some of these scenes together and that's going to start now. Uh, so the first one we're going to do is between Foggy and Marcy at Josie's bar. Um, you know, the first part of this that we get is that Foggy arrives at the bar and meets up with Marcy, and he shares information that he had gotten from the Man in the Black Mask and is, is pleading with Marcy to look over it. She's very hesitant once she finds out that this information was from the Man in the Black Mask, but as Foggy convinces her to read through it, he's slowly pleading for her to take back her soul from Landman and Zack. The first thing that I'm going to jump out ahead of is, again, we, I think we've made it clear how weird they've handled foggy when it comes to the way that he's interacted with women right it's so weird to me in here that marcy was hesitant to help when it's already been established that foggy has done some quote-unquote back channeling with her before for information so this isn't the first time that there's been some conflict of interest i thought it was really interesting that they they called to it here even though they've already set a precedent for it before
1: yeah that's you're right i didn't catch that But Mm -hmm. I mean, they made, you see, and that's, hmm. so you have to go one or two ways with that. Either Mm -hmm. that was kind of a slip of the mind as you're creating the show continuity wise, Mm -hmm. right? Or the way it was directed or actor choice in the moment to emphasize the back channeling as some kind of innuendo Mm -hmm. wasn't... And it was done on the day of filming and not planned as you're writing the episodes. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, because they've established that.
0: Which I I think that is symptomatic of them not having a very cohesive plan for the way they've been handling the relationships of the characters. And that's probably why something like that slips from that first part of the back channeling comment to now where we're having this scene where it's very hinged on that conflict of interest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And as you say that, there's another thing I noticed that's a that's very problematic with that scene. And as a TV show, it probably not thought of probably doesn't, you know, uh, I didn't think about it till you just mentioned it about about they've already done back channeling. So clearly she's comfortable of this conflict of interest help. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the idea that she decides when she decides it's only because you were really good last night or the other night. Well, that's kind of uh, you're establishing a quid pro quo relationship, which is in this context illegal. Yeah, you know, like I'll do, I'll do something, you know, uh, this basically the worst kind of quid pro quo. Like it's for sexual favors. Yeah. Um. And and I never picked up on it before, but if it really is, they've established back channeling. So why is all this other problem here? And the reason you're willing to do it here is because you were good the other
0: night. It just that's it shows. Yeah, it shows that the way that they've handled because I I remember the first time we were introduced to Marcy, I asked a question, was it low of Foggy to start taking characteristic jabs at her? Because right. he, I was all for him taking jabs when it came to the legal cases that they were dealing with. But it gets to the point where he's just like verbally disarming her by her appearance. And we kind of kept pressing forward because we talked about how like, you know, well, that's the fact they wanted to give To to come back here. They're trying to make Foggy be this person like, oh, you know, I'm the moral compass, you know, take your soul back. It's They were so focused on creating a character with Marcy that was just a caricature of, of who an actual person would be right. that they just, it doesn't feel real.
1: Well, see, even on that note, I don't, I'm not, huh, how do I want to word this? I don't I didn't read it as if Foggy was like, Oh, I want to save your moral character. Like I still think he was making an appeal to her selfish side. You know. Mm-hmm. Like that pitch was wasn't just, you know, hey, do the moral thing. Right? It it wasn't it, it was what's gonna happen when all this comes out and you're attached to Laman and Zach. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was still it wasn't an appeal to take the moral high ground. It's I'm trying to help you. I mean, again, it's that I'm, it looks like I'm trying to, I'm getting information out of you. I'm convincing you to do so because I'm giving you the information you need not to go down when all this stuff goes, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's completely a appeal to her, her ego, you know? And, and I get it. We all have an ego, Like We all have a sense of self, but you know, if the sense of self is wrapped into and it seems like that's what they want Marcy's character to be, in a wrapped up in kind of a shallow career driven caricature. Mm-hmm. Um which they try to get away from that slightly where she says Miss Cardenas' mm-hmm. name correctly. Mm-hmm. Um but that one little moment compared to every other time you've seen her on screen.
0: It's a little too late to do some damage control.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it, so it, this, was a, this was an interesting sequence, and at least from this episode, I don't know, I don't think Foggy asking for her help showed any kind of payoff in this episode. Most definitely, no. So I'll be interested when I watch the last episode to see what kind of help he actually gets payoff-wise, mm-hmm. um, because if he doesn't get any kind of payoff to truly help their case, and it's just simply I'm helping out a friend, I don't know if that scene was worth it.
0: And it just, it... It only heightens the sin of this straw man that they've created, I think, if they don't pay it off.
1: Now, I will say this is looking at season one only because I know as a character, she shows up again. Okay. And I do think in the next couple of seasons, there's a little bit more fleshing out of this character. And there's a little bit more justice served and a little bit more, I think, if I remember incorrectly, a little bit more complexity. Uh, to this character, well, that's good. Um, but just going off this season alone, there's clearly some some issues.
0: First season troubles, uh, I'm I'm sure. So it'll be interesting to see how how they'll handle it, and knowing that they get more time with the character, right? So, uh, like I said, the way we're we're grouping these, we're going to jump back a little bit. Uh, ben eventually arrives back at his apartment, uh, and Karen gets the jump on him as well and startles him. Um, they have a conversation with Karen insists that she thinks that they know that she and Ben found Wilson's mother and Ben starts to try and calm her down. Uh, but the conversation eventually turns to Ben saying that he can't go with the information he has until he gets more concrete sources.
1: Right. Okay. So, um, as much as I praised Karen at the beginning, I
0: mm-hmm.
1: didn't like what they did with this. I, I guess I just don't like what they're doing with her and Ben, you know? Um, and I'm going to save some of this for later, but the main part is like, I like, she's lying to Ben about how she knows that they know. And I'm just like, Ben is taking you in. Ben has, you know, an episode ago, you were calling Ben in tears just for reassurance, just to chat. And he's been there for you every step of the way. Yeah. We didn't like it the way she misled him to to see this mm-hmm. mom, but the idea, like, they had to have been close. The idea that he was going to take that drive and trust that, hey, I have a place to show you. Yeah. You know, so as I mentioned earlier, like, it was kind of a smart thing of, like, oh, Fisk has cops and stuff on the payroll. We've established Ben's not on Fisk payroll pretty well. Right. Like, she could trust that information to Ben. So, yeah, I just hate that she lied right here because I just feel like she didn't need to with no, with
0: Ben. she definitely didn't. I, it, I guess to play devil's advocate, I, I guess she wanted to. I think she was kind of tiptoeing on it because she has that line where, you know, Ben is saying like, well, hey, look, I can't do anything until I get sources and can confirm this because I work for a newspaper. But there's nothing stopping from you from talking about it on the Internet. And she has this line where she says, who do you think is going to believe me when they search and find out what you found out? So, again, they're they're kind of teasing that shady history. Right. And I don't know what that shady history is, but... I feel like from a writing level, they're wanting to have you put that two and two together where she's trying to open up, but she can't. So she just relies on that knowledge that Ben has of her past.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I I found it interesting. There's this theme in this episode. You see it. There's hints of it throughout the whole series, but in particular, it stood out to me of this old media versus new media, you know, and, and Ben's claim of like, I can't just write whatever I want. Um, mm-hmm. Now, while we clearly see that happen today, but this I, this idea of like I have to have these sources and it has to be verified, you know, and this and that theme comes up again later. Um, I just I just found that interesting, and you know, kind of Karen's response of like, it's you can't wait that long. You got to get it out there mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. which is interesting because to kind of make it in a weird way current, kind of shows this. Who cares if you have the proper sources? Kind of mentality, get just get the information Mm -hmm. out there, Um, which again we, not to get sidetracked, but we see that happening a lot. Oh yeah, you know today, whereas Ben's very much no, I have to have my sources and I have to have these things uh, in order to print it as news.
0: Yeah, I mean that is very uh, emblematic of, like you said, they're highlighting the the old media versus new media and how we live in. I wish I could remember the exact title and author, but I was reading a book that's called The Present Shock uh-huh. and how we constantly live in this information overload. And so, you know, to, to kind of echo what you're saying, that that's what they're they're kind of dwelling on here.
1: Well, and it's and it's also interesting that and I don't think it's intentional. I mean, I know it's intentional in the casting, but it helps to pair that message with the age difference between the two of them.
0: And, and cause you mentioned Ben in the comics worked for the daily bugle. I, I even, God, I think even with the, the Andrew Garfield uh, carnation of Spider-Man, I think they kind of had this struggle with how do you adapt the daily bugle, which is a staple of the comics into a world where like a newspaper like that isn't as prominent as it used to be. So I don't know what Ben's, age difference would have been in the comics, but that is a good choice to have that there to, to emphasize that the, well, there's no other way to put it, the aging medium.
1: Yeah. The book that you said is by a Douglas Rushkoff, cough. Hmm. And it's, in- should... it's interesting because I own his, another one of his books, Life, Inc. How the World Became a Corporation and How to Take It Back. I actually uh-huh. own that one. Um, I didn't finish it. I started it. Uh, I need to get back to it. Um, and because he's also did something on PBS Frontline show that I actually show in class sometime. Oh,
0: wow. That's cool. So, yeah, I, I do love this, you know, we both have this exact same relationship with the author where we started his book and didn't finish it. <laughs> I need to finish Present Shock.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know what? And I really enjoyed the the book, um, the other book. Um or, you know, the, the one I was reading, I just need to get back. I'm just, I'm a terrible reader in terms of finishing. Me too. Things. I blame it on Me grad too. school when uh-huh. you just get in this habit of like reading so much and for to get by in the class for mm-hmm. a class discussion and writing your papers that like, it's like, I got what I need out of this book and this article. And so, eh, the article's a little bit different. You, the articles, you finish those. Uh, but mm-hmm. the books, you know, you don't always finish them and you just, eh. And I, I don't it, think I've ever broke that habit.
0: It's such a bad habit for me where it's like, all right, I got everything I needed out of this. <laughs> Just move on. <laughs> yeah.
1: Minus like, I don't know, the conclusion, but okay. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not watching the next episode. We're moving on after this. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: man. Back to the episode. My final note is, you know, we, we talked about how Ben saying like, well, why don't you write about it on the internet? Didn't Karen sign the NDA? Like, what, what? What has been doing here? Like, he knows this, that she can't share this information. You know
1: what? That's, again, I wonder, is that something where that little detail that got forgot? That got forgot. It,
0: it sounds terrible.
1: But, yeah. Go ahead.
0: It, I mean, it's such a shame. Like, I I don't think I've actually vocalized this, but I started realizing how much we've we've tapped into the hashtag save daredevil audience. Yeah. Yeah. With this and how.
1: Well, I'm with them. I hope uh, that I want to save it. So I do,
0: too. For, for all my critiques, I would love to see Daredevil come back. So it's only being fair to something that I do enjoy to want to see it be better. So anything that I'm saying is not saying like, oh, this doesn't deserve to exist. But what I was going to get to is that it's such a shame that we're getting to the final two episodes of the season. And it seems like they're making some pretty big mistakes. Right. Like the the, the Marcy thing and now this right. NDA thing.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. Like that's a huge thing of like she has an NDA. You know, and the thing is, even if you put even if she's posted that about Fisk, the ND, the NDA is with the Union Allied Confed Global, whatever it is now. So it's with a corporation like mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't matter if she's right. It, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, you're right. Kind of kind of thing. And and I'm not familiar with all the whistleblower laws and status mm-hmm. um, of the U.S. And 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 it's weird to, to walk down that realistic road but I from what I understand that's not the way to do it
0: that is I do want to say in the show's defense that is a good point that you brought up about you know this is about Fisk not Union Allied but it's easy to draw a correlation between the two that it's still going to be problematic no matter what yeah Okay, so jumping to the next scene that we're going to tackle, uh, it is the next morning. Matt is standing outside the address that Ben gave him. He's using his hearing to pinpoint the familiar tapping of one of Gal's blind runner. Whenever he hones in on the source of the sound, he follows the runner until they get into a car, and as they take off, Matt begins to scour the rooftops to keep up with them as they eventually get to their destination. I think
1: we missed, I think we missed talking about this a little bit when Matt and Ben had their scene together. Um, Matt had... Um, basically they talked about, you know, who's distributing drugs. Um, they mentioned Gal's name, but they didn't have, they mentioned Gal the person, but they didn't know the name. And right. they started talking about all the, the runners with backpacks. I mean, we we kind of focused in on the interaction, which I think was important. But in terms of like the, the plot content, you know, mm-hmm. of that scene kind of helps us get here. Uh, yeah. You know, two things that, really found interesting is that is they really I like how they you know and we, we talked about this in the first couple episodes how they kind of teach us how they're going to do things and mm-hmm. and a couple of things I noticed was like you clearly know as they're going from sound to sound like Matt is looking for a marker you know like right. when, when he knew Wesley by the watch and so then when mm-hmm. Wesley came into the courtroom he knew Wesley was there because of the watch you know and so so you just knew Like, that's what he was looking for, and he found it in the cane. I like how Matt quickly sidestepped the person. They're both blind. Um, And then he had that new marker, you know, the classical music, and was able to to follow them to the the warehouse.
0: I'm glad you brought up the classical music, because I want to kind of, almost kind of a tangent here. But question for you. Did the stereotype of the sophisticated villain listening to classical music start because of the older music being copyright free?
1: Oh, that's a good question
0: because that's the, that's the first thing that came to mind when i watched this scene. That's a good
1: question. It makes sense. It mm-hmm. it really makes sense. Well, and and the other thing about that, you know, i mean anytime i mean you imagine you want to have somebody seem a f- sophisticated as i mm-hmm. bumble on that word sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> but anytime you want to have that, you kind of have that classical music, right? Like like the well, i mean we we're going to see it and we'll talk about it in a little more detail with um Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Mm -hmm. where the soundtrack was such an impact on even the creation of that movie and just seeing how powerful music can be and, Mm -hmm. and uh, eliciting emotions out of us that, that yeah, like you do get that sense of sophistication out of that classical or the symphonic uh, music, you know? So yeah, uh, that's a good, I'm going to say yes to that, even though it's a Mm -hmm. guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Just be the, the, Problem being, like, you could see Fisk listening to that music because that's the character they built, but this is just a henchman driving around one of the runners, so I just found it interesting that he was listening to classical music.
1: So, aside from that, two things. A, I thought it was a nice parkour sequence that they had, you Mm -hmm. know, on the rooftop. I thought there was a, you know, I always find it it interesting because I enjoy those sequences, actually. Just, uh, Mm -hmm. I enjoy the athleticism and just seeing, like, wow, somebody's doing that, you know? Um, and I realized especially the way that
0: this one was filmed yeah
1: yeah and, and so like you know and, and part of me is like oh there's you know you didn't actually need to do that flip but okay um, it was still cool to see <laughs> but the other thing is he just throws his cane away and it made me wonder how many canes does Matt actually have
0: <laughs> well whether or not you take rumors into account he should be teaming up with Peter Parker and Peter Parker's constantly going through backpacks so at least they have that thing to bond over that's with.
1: true <laughs> so just for fun, I looked it up on Amazon real quick, uh-huh. and there's one the foldable cane uh-huh. that is seventy dollars. Wow. But then there's one that's eleven dollars. Uh, so there's a range. Yeah, so there's a range. So in in I'm assuming match using the mid tier in price.
0: I would assume so. Yeah, and I mean if we want to track it, I think. In this season, we've only seen him toss the cane twice now.
1: Well, so. and, and, and it's either uh, maybe it's like the Spider-Man game where you're having to go back and find all his backpacks, and like, <laughs> and like I'm just imagining like Matt retracing his steps and going to get it.
0: Don't <laughs> include that in the Daredevil game.
1: <laughs> yes, that's they're gonna make a Daredevil game, and that's that's a side mission.
0: The the collectible canes. <laughs> All right, again, so like like we said, uh, we're grouping scenes together because they do a lot of dip-ins and dip-outs. So what we're going to tackle first is Ben arrives at his office and asks if Ellison has made it into the office yet, and he has not. Shortly later, Karen receives a phone call from Ben, and they're both anxiously waiting for the return of Ellison. As Karen's talking to him, she does receive a call from Matt, and she hangs up with Ben, and Matt informs her that he's had a rough morning and that he's going to take the rest of the day off.
1: He, okay, sorry. The first thought I had, you know... And that, uh-huh. that wasn't my first note, but it just popped in my head. Is like, he has a lot of sick leave. <laughs> perks
0: of being the boss, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, perks of, perks of being the boss. I do find it interesting, though, here, where, you know, he, he, like you said, he's he's saying, I had a rough morning. Um, mm-hmm. But I do like how they show him having to, that stitch that opened mm-hmm. as he's saying that, you know. So it shows that, like, because we talked about it a little bit with his... Um, and his fight, I guess, with uh, Potter, that, you know, we're still seeing that, like, he's still not healed up, you know, so he's still right. not fully 100%. So I do like that there's, they're still letting that linger. Well, I mean, yeah. like a year ago, I had surgery, and mm-hmm. kind of a major surgery, and he had a pretty deep cut, so it's not 100% the same, but I can tell you, like, I've never... The most pain I've ever felt in my life is two days after the surgery and I sneezed, mm. it, you know, and that's all and it was on my abdomen. So, like, I'm looking at that and watching the stuff he's doing and I'm just like, there's no way. And
0: I like because we've never really seen the lingering wounds like this before. Right. As far, like, the last time he got this beat up was the episode two where he was found in the dumpster. And I never really called back to it after that. He was healed. and and Because he even, you know, he went down to the Russian hideout and took on all those guys and saved the boy. And we never saw any more follow-up with those wounds. Right. The thing that I like about them kind of keeping focus on it is these wounds were sustained from when he went to go kill Fisk and attacked Nobu. And I like that they're keeping it on him because he's still learning that lesson. Like, of course, we know that he's making amends by the way that he had that line with Ben and the, the animals in cages. Um, he's getting there, but he's still holding on to those lessons. And I, I, I think I like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, to cycle back to the whole Ben aspect of these scenes that we group together, I, I, I do want to say as much as it's a weird structure for the way they're kind of dipping in and out. I do like that they split this waiting for Ellison over these scenes because it's an effective way to build up that anticipation of handing his story into the editor and seeing how he's going to take it.
1: Right. It does. To, to separate it, it, it creates a, um, a true waiting for the audience. It's not just mm-hmm. a they're acting waiting. It, it truly increased the time between the start of that to the end of that.
0: It's, it's manufacturing this contextual feel within the episode. Yeah,
1: that's a fantastic way to put it. Um, Thank you. So, yeah. So, as we're doing all this rejumbling here, uh, the next <laughs> thing we're going to look at is where Fisk um, is transporting his mom away from the nursing facility. Um, and he starts to detail this plan that he has to move her to Italy uh, that she's not thrilled with. Um, and... Fisk continues to question her, um, and I, uh, as I say, that is probably a more loving way, I, I think, mm-hmm. is his mom, but he continues to ask questions about Wesley um, and trying to mm-hmm. see if she remembers anything about uh, her conversation with him.
0: All right, so I got a question for you. Okay. On the topic of, of Fisk's love for his mother, did Fisk just change the arrangements that he had for Vanessa to his mom and sending her to Italy? Or do you think he always had plans to send his mom to Italy with Vanessa?
1: Um... I think the plan... I think they both go.
0: They both go? I think they both go. I th- I don't... I. This is just me completely reading into it, but I found it so funny because we never heard him say anything about sending his mother out of the country, but he obviously, at the beginning of the episode, was like, all right, I have plans to send you out of the country, and Vanessa's like, no, you know, I'm going to stay. And it was just... It was funny to me to kind of, like, entertain this idea of Fisk just recycling those plans and being like, okay, well, I guess I'll send my mom. You
1: know what? It's... um Hey, it's it's how you stay rich, right? We're not going to waste our money. <laughs> I made these arrangements. I got the flight. I got the gas for the airplane. That's not cheap because I'm assuming it's private. Like, I'm assuming he's not sending their you know, American Airlines. So, so yeah. yeah. You know, waste not. I know. Uh, but no, I, <laughs> I think in the end they both go. I think.
0: Oh. I guess we'll see. I don't know. I've completely forgotten about that.
1: My last note on this scene is, well, you and I both have had some experience with this with our own family members in terms of Mm -hmm. um, struggling with memory loss. And the way they showed Fisk have a tremendous amount of patience with his mom and asking these questions and having to have the same conversations over and over again, it's not something that's easy. Um, And in this show, Fisk having such a volatile you know, uh, temperament when he doesn't get what he wants. um, They really handled this mother-son care very well.
0: Without giving too much away, we're going to see how much Fisk's love for his mother comes into play at the end. Yeah. And we've seen a lot about, them telling us how much he loves his mother but this is a good scene where they're showing us that with that patience oh yeah so after the car drive with Fisk and his mother we do return back to Ben's office where Ellison has just read the article and is not a fan of it at all Uh, Ben and Ellison exchange verbal blows back and forth until finally Ben accuses him of being on Fisk's payroll Ellison responds by firing Ben I will say I feel like I have to do this I have now done a 360 on Ellison I'm back to not liking him. <laughs> I'm slightly <laughs> concerned. I'm slightly concerned that I didn't pick up on the fact that he was being paid off by Fisk. Yeah. I'm too trusting.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? I... Okay, so my issues here, right, mm-hmm. was, so Ben's trying to convince Ellison to print this article,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: And he, he charges him with this, how much is he paying you? And I had this question. And I think you kind of answered it. But my question for you was, who do you think is right, Ben, that the work... No, yeah, Ben, that Ellison is to be on the payroll. Or Ellison, that Ben's work is crap. You know? Um, and that's why it's not getting published. Because I just, I just had this weird feeling of, like, as I'm watching Ben, and as he's becoming convinced by... Con- I mean, the last scene we saw with Ben and Karen... He was talking about, I have to have another source. Let me shake this out. And she convinces him to run this, right? Mm -hmm. And the previous episode, we have, hey, you know, it's hearsay. It's a lady who's not all there. It's not as good. We talked about three different times someone told Karen it wasn't as good of information as she thinks it is. And now Ben is trying to run with that and convince Mm -hmm. Ellison, no, this is as good as you— you know, information that we've clearly established isn't as good as we think it is. Mm -hmm. So I I was wondering, do you actually think Ellison's right? Is it really that this is just not good information or is Ben right?
0: This feels like a cop-out answer, but I think they can both be right. I think Ellison is right in that Ben doesn't have the proper sources because as you've said, which I didn't construct this in my notes until you kind of put it together here, but you're right, we detailed how... Karen's information felt like there was no teeth to it, like there was no backing up on it. And so, you know, Ben instinctively knew that he needed more sources, but he swayed into doing it anyway, which is where I think that um, claim of the, the work being terrible is true. But at the same time, Ben is smart enough that he's able to put those pieces together, that it is also true that Ellison is on the payroll.
1: Right. Well, and here's another thing where I, I'll go back to that issue of Karen lying about how she knew that they know that's, that's something that w- I, w- I would think changes maybe what Ben's approach is with his editor or with the story altogether, you know, like if he knows that Fisk is onto him, uh, does he make that accusation? Uh, does he, cause clearly you make that ac- accusation out of, you know, frustration, Mm-hmm. And or you honestly believe that Ellison's on the payroll and mm-hmm. I can't get the story printed. But if that's an honest thought and you know that they know that that's so weird the way I have to say this, that if, if they know Fisk and the company knows that Ben showed up at his mom, you know, I don't know if with that information, Ben makes that bold of a claim because it'd be kind of dangerous to do something like that.
0: Ben is too savvy to make that simple of a mistake if he had all the pieces of information.
1: Man, you're, you're nailing it tonight. And, I, <laughs> and I'm i just like floundering. Good job. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, hey, you just said, I you have just said exactly reason. what I was trying to say in a much more succinct way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's teamwork. You helped me get there. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting to kind of look through because what's harder is to have this feeling of like Karen really letting Ben down in this way and being the catalyst for, you know, the direction Ben goes in in this episode. Right. But at the same time, there's equal parts animosity towards the in-show decisions that Karen made and then the meta decisions of the creatives making Karen do this that feels frustrating.
1: Yes. Well, and I mean it's it's well, it's been like this every step of the way mm-hmm. where she lied about not having the information to Matt and it got brought up again in the Nelson versus Murdoch episode or whatever um where Last time I was in my apartment and Matt's like, you lied to me. We mentioned it where, hey, he's a kick-ass attorney, but like you didn't go to him when you had to sign an NDA. Um, You know, so she's constantly made those types of decisions. So in Mm. in that sense, they've been really consistent with the Karen character.
0: That's true. That's a good point. It'll be interesting to see if they service this any in the the final episode or season two. Yeah. You know, I I made the, the quip about doing a 360 on Ellison and not like him again. But I'll back up just a little bit to say, you know, it's no question he's been bought. But it's telling of who he is as a person that even after Ben kept verbally attacking him in front of everyone, he was trying to keep it, you know, I don't know if low-key is the right word. But, you know, he starts off with a suspension. Like, hey, you know, you're take a week. You're suspended. Right. And it's only until Ben does that final, like, you know, how much is he paying you line that he decides to fire Ben. Yeah. It's not a lot to go on, but it gives us a short glimpse on the sort of pressure that Ellison might have been under taking this offer, where maybe he doesn't want to be this person that's been bought, but he really had to mull it over, and he there's probably shame in it that he, you know, ended up taking the money.
1: hmm Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So— After the confrontation with Ben and Ellison, we are back at the warehouses where Gal's runners was dropped off. Uh, We get another look at the heroin production and, you know, Gal surveys her employees and eventually moves upstairs. Um, There is a knock at the door and a guard lets in Matt and Matt begins to take down everybody. And as he's investigating the heroin production, Gal spots him and has everybody apprehend Matt.
1: So Matt had the key. Basically, it was kind of a audio key from that last time when he did all that really cool parkouring. He got to listen in. You know, we keep talking mm-hmm. about those audio cues where mark something. They had that special knock. And with that special knock, he was able to to get in. Um, and once he's in, they kind of went back and you've you've tracked it about the different fighting styles they've used. Mm-hmm. And this is that more in the shadows. You don't see it coming uh, fighting style. Or and when I say fighting style, I mean like visually how they show it, mm-hmm. um, and I mm-hmm. really like it when they show Matt in action from that vantage point.
0: Yeah, you get the like the larger than life perspective where we don't see Matt, or the heavy perspective where Matt is doing the hand to hand combat. Oh yeah. That being said, though, I, I again, I, I if you would have asked me, or if I would have texted you right after this episode, I wouldn't have said no, I didn't like this episode. But I feel like I've been really negative about it throughout this discussion, but. I, for this scene in particular, I don't know what this scene told us that we didn't already know. Like, it feels a little uh, excessive because, I mean, we've already known about the heroin production and how Gal is a part of that. Um, it, it, And it could also be symptomatic of the way that this episode has grouped scenes together and split things up, that maybe that's where I'm getting this feeling mm-hmm. from. But it kind of just felt like an excuse to get some cool Daredevil action.
1: Okay, so my point is really paired with the second half of the scene. So we're going to, do that regrouping and rearranging and jump into that as well gal sees him from on high whatever office she's in and yells and they all all the other blind workers go just swarming matt right but then when we come back to the second half of the scene you see matt is there to pounce on gal and i guess two of her bodyguards um and I'm wondering how like they, they never right. showed Matt escaping the overwhelming numbers like that didn't make sense to me.
0: It's such a weird sequence of events, especially because to, to kind of cap off that first half, like I don't like this, this whole section of Matt infiltrating Gal's operations. Mm-hmm. You know, that first half felt like filler. And then when it ends with, you, like you said, all the blind runners are jumping on him, I thought that was going to lead to somewhere. Like, okay, here we go. Here's some uh, consequences that we're going to see Matt deal with. But like you said, when we get back, he's escaped and he's hiding from Gal. So it's just we don't want to have our hand held the entire time. But at the same time, there's this happy medium where you do have to kind of draw some lines here and there.
1: Yeah. Well, and at the end of it, it looked like they were back at work.
0: That's that's a good point. I didn't even catch on that. Right? Yeah.
1: Like, I mean... I mean, he he takes out her bodyguards. Uh, we see that Gal doesn't need a bodyguard. Um, in fact, I even wrote, well, this is a weird note. It says, damn, Gal can fight. And then parentheses, <laughs> but then parentheses is what I thought the first time I saw it, because I remembered that. And so it wasn't as impactful as the very first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I knew I always, oh, Gal can mm-hmm. do that. Um, but the first time you see it, it's like, oh, damn. But at that point, you know, when Gal gets away and the fires start to take the whole warehouse, it looked like they were back at work. Mm-hmm. You know, and then my very next note, this was a strange sequence.
0: Again, it's just it's something that feels weird when you just digest it as the scene. But as you kind of take in the episode as a whole, it is really drawing this picture. Like, I wonder if something went wrong with this episode. Because, you know, I I wasn't going to be this heavy handed with that feeling until you pointed out about the way the gals runners went right back to work. There's something went wrong here. I think there was either some reshoots or something because it just doesn't make sense.
1: No, it doesn't. And I get that, like, you're getting towards the end. Right. And of Fisk organization falling apart, you got rid of the Russians. You got rid Mm -hmm. of Nobu. Um, and you need, I guess, to get rid of Gal, and this kind of serves that purpose, so the only one left to deal with is Fisk.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was just, and I, and I get that part of the series and that part of the story, it just didn't feel natural.
0: It feels more like a to-do list than an actual Net- plot-driven. See,
1: look at that. You just keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but you're right. It does. It felt more like a to do list than than plot driven, you know. And I, honestly, even the way that very, very end of this scene, when Matt's leaving and he jumps off the warehouse, and Mahoney's there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's like, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. Again, I, I, I love, I love season one. I love the series, but it's like. Matt, and his super hearing, just happens to jump off the warehouse right where Mahoney's going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just feel like he would have been a little bit more careful than that and got further. I, I mean, we already saw how far and how many city blocks he had to go parkouring to get there. So the idea that he would jump off anywhere near police in that area with the fire just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Other than for plot point reasons, you want, you, you need that interaction to happen.
0: And even at that, what is the purpose of that interaction? Why was it so pertinent to have this scene where Matt is insisting on his innocence to Mahoney when there's no like out of all people, why is it Mahoney that he feels like he needs to share this information for? Because it doesn't feel like Mahoney has that high of a pull within his precinct. Yeah, so
1: yeah, I'd agree with that, but I think I think the reasoning there though is that we all as an audience know, and we we could so you have both within the episode and kind of a meta knowledge. Uh, Mahoney's clean. Right, like in other words, Matt knows he's not bought off. We know he's not bought off. So, Mm -hmm. if any kind of resolution at the end, you know, the the trustworthy person that the audience believes and knows is trustworthy, you know, we got to get that information to him somehow. Yeah, but but notice, like that's I'm trying to solve how to wrap it up, and I'm going to do it this way. Then kind of a natural progression of
0: story. I was going to say you you detailing the the meta knowledge of knowing Mahoney is clean. Tracks, and I think it also is in line with the way everything's been a to-do list so far. Like these are all the things we need to check off so we can get to the final episode. That that clears it up for me. It's not as weird to me as it was before. Yeah.
1: Can I can I make <clears throat> one little side note before we go into the next scene? Go ahead. Everyone, because you mentioned we've really tapped in with the save Daredevil, and we're all with it. Please save Daredevil. Yes. <laughs> I, I feel so bad. It sounds like I'm bashing this episode, but it's just and and we've talked about it once before. That that watching it um, and not just like, oh, we're watching with a critical eye this time and there, but watching it week to week rather than just straight through, um, I think is really having an impact on how we're seeing individual episodes.
0: And, and I've, I think I've said this multiple times throughout the, the course of this podcast, but I, I am glad that we're doing it because it is kind of guiding us for how to to take in the different ways shows are written whether it be binge or week to week like we think the Disney Plus shows are going to be so I'm uh-huh. glad we're kind of getting this this knowledge now I don't want it to feel like it's coming at the expense of Daredevil like I still really enjoy this obviously you don't <laughs> you don't spend uh, 12 weeks recording a podcast on something you don't like right? so it, it, right. it is all coming from a place of, of still loving the show well
1: and before we and before we jump into the, the next scene I just want to add on to that it might help in terms of how we approach season two when that comes around. Mm-hmm. Well, when it when those podcast episodes come around.
0: All right. So we did group those two scenes together. So we're going to go ahead and jump back to an earlier scene where Leland and Fisk are discussing possible suspects for the gala event. And Leland tries to pin it on the man in the black mask. Fisk doubts it, seeing as how it's not the typical M.O. for the man in the black mask. Uh, Fisk does order Francis to double the offer on the streets for information. And right as he does that, Fisk does receive another phone call on Wesley's phone and quickly exits the scene. Yeah.
1: Okay. So the two notes that I want to just point out and then go with it. Um, one after the beating Francis took, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm returning to work. I might leave town. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I just, yeah, I, I okay. N- not for me. Um, also, I found it interesting when Fist answered the phone. He was answering Wesley's phone, and he said something to the effect, "He's not available right now." So he's also playing it really close to the chest, really close to the vest, really close to the chest, whichever one it is. Take that, um, and he's playing that in order to let let people know that Wesley's uh, dead. Mm-hmm. You know, so I found that interesting that he was he he wasn't letting that information out.
0: And I'm glad you opened up with that because that honestly is my first note. But my my question is, who called Fisk? Right. I have an idea, but I don't know for sure. Um, do you think it was Ellison?
1: Do I think it was Ellison?
0: Because without giving too much, we know where Fisk shows up next.
1: Mm, that's a, it could be. It could be mm-hmm. someone from the paper. Ellison, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I just, I thought that was interesting. And even more so on why Fisk would play coy like that.
1: Mm -hmm. No, and that makes sense. Yeah. See, and my initial thought was, it was an interesting little detail of like Fisk being secretive. And it was just an easy way to get him out of that scene by a phone call. But from Mm -hmm. the where he shows up next, it makes sense that he's being tipped off. Uh, And I do like how Leland tried to put the blame on Daredevil. I don't want to say tried to put the blame on Daredevil, but made that suggestion. And Fisk was Mm -hmm. very quick to say that's not his M.O.,
0: it's almost like a level of respect that Fisk has for the man of the black mask by realizing that the poison and guns is not his MO. Right. It's like, despite having, you know, <laughs> conflict of interest uh, with the man of the black mask, he still respects him enough to, to know what he is or isn't capable
1: yeah. of. Yeah. And plus they had the confrontation and he didn't have a gun with him uh, fighting Nobu. Like he, you know, he's seen mm-hmm. it up, up close. So this is, he, he truly knows what he's talking about here.
0: To cycle back to what you were pointing about Leland trying really trying to pin the poisoning on everyone but Gal, that should be a huge red flag. Like at first it was sort of like, okay, yeah, he's a kid who's clearly trying to prove their innocence, but In the heat of the moment, that's easy to get swept under, you know, as they're caring for Vanessa. It's easy to just kind of write that off. But now it's just kind of getting really obvious. And it's interesting to me that Fisk isn't picking up on that or at least hasn't picked up on it yet within the context of the show. Well,
1: you know, I'm going to just go ahead and take that and transition the way we've been skipping around scenes. um, The next scene that we really need to discuss is Gal on a rooftop with Leland and Mm -hmm. the two of them... Uh, discuss what happened, why is she late, mentioned the the warehouse fire. Uh, and there it's clearly stated that it was the two of them that targeted Vanessa.
0: Yeah, we, we've we been tracking it within these last, really, I guess, three episodes, the tail end of the, the three episodes ago to now, about how much involvement Leland had. And we saw multiple times throughout these episodes where either Wesley or Fisk sent Leland to make amends with Gal and— we finally have confirmation that it wasn't just making amends. They were making plans together.
1: You know what? And it shouldn't have surprised us. Um, I mean, A, I mean, we, we kind of started hinting at it, you know, when they were in the hospital, but all the way back to the episode of stick, your favorite, when he reaches out to (laughs) Nobu, um, you know, and kind of tries to take sides with Nobu. Um, And, Mm. and Leland has just had that character of, I'm going to look out for me when it, Mm. when it comes to those interactions. So in that way, it shouldn't have surprised us that much.
0: I can't remember if I've said this or not, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it again. Leland's behavior reminds me so much of the way in season two of Community, in the paintball episode, where <laughs> Chang just kept switching groups the entire episode. Yeah. yeah. That's who Leland is. <laughs> that, that's, that's, uh,
1: that's perfect. I love the paintball episodes. Um, me
0: too. Me too. Also, I mean, I, there are, a lot of them were directed by the Russo brothers, it, so yeah. it fits within our show. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I I need to find that article. There's an article. That's something for another episode. Um I found there's an article that makes the case that the reason why the Russo brothers were able to do what they did with such a big ensemble cast was the things they learned by doing community.
0: I could totally see that. Yeah. Especially if you've never seen Community before, the main characters are are seven different people. And the show had done such a great job of juggling all seven characters and giving them agency and, and, and plot lines that felt cohesive, at least within the context of each episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but stepping back into Daredevil, my final note that I have for this scene in particular, um, it's... it's I guess I always say I find it interesting, but I have nothing else. I find it interesting that when we first got introduced to the Union Allied group, it was on a rooftop. And now here at the end, as it's falling apart, finally, it is again at a rooftop. And I thought that was just kind of nice closure that they did with that. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. So... What's interesting about the way they, they closed that and she said, hey, you know, this will be the last time we speak. It kind of feels different now after talking about some things just feeling like a checklist. So I think the the way the closure of those two characters and their interaction was done well, um, but also, you know, needing a way to get Gao out of the picture. It, it feels more like a checklist now than it did before um, which, and if that's just the case, we just need a way to get Gal out of the picture. They actually handled it well in a way that it felt very natural. Now, finally, my last thing on this, you know, it, we we had that line from Gal to Fisk, fate will choose for you. And clearly, Gal made that choice for him. But I also thought this was sounded like a silly plan. Like, they had to know that if they were successful and killed Vanessa, Fisk was just going to uh-huh. go off the deep end. Right. You know, like, it just... <laughs> I mean, did they forget Anatoly for just interrupting a date? <laughs> you know,
0: like that yeah, is a good point because I remember thinking where uh, I forgot. Gal says something like, "Oh, well, Fisk still suspects that the poison was for him, right? So we're good." Yeah. And Leland's like, "Yeah, except for the fact that Vanessa's still alive. I should have put a bullet in her head or something. Something to that extent." Right. I I, I kind of pause at that, but I'm glad you brought that back up because you're you're right. What what was their end goal?
1: Well, it feels like. The whole bit was like, Vanessa's a distraction, and he's slipping up, and they've laid that foundation, so they're getting rid of the distraction. But we've also, I think, had the benefit of not, of watching it and seeing the character development of the two of them, that, say, in show, Gao and Leland wouldn't have, of that stabilizing force that Vanessa was.
2: That's true, you know? too. Yeah. And
1: so they didn't see that, that us as an audience can see, and... So I don't know if they realized the way to help Fist back on track was through Vanessa not eliminating her.
0: So after the meeting with Gal and Leland on the rooftop, we do join back with Ben, who's with his wife in the hospital, and they are playfully bantering back and forth. She picks up that something's bothering him, but she quickly reassures him not to let the story that he's working on go. Ben informs her that Allison has let Ben go and without missing a beat, she reassures Ben that he never needed the paper and that he can continue to tell the truth on his own.
1: You know what? This scene, man, this scene just made me sad. Yeah. You know? Just because, like, from a husband-wife interaction, she is supporting him, and I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is also doesn't have and, and and I've already brought this up once twice before, doesn't have all the information, mm-hmm. you know. Clearly, I feel like that this isn't... So maybe it's not clear, but I f- at least feel like this is a bigger ordeal or story than his previous pieces. It's mm-hmm. not as just... is there. There's more at stake than just simply telling the truth through a story and she doesn't have all that information. And so it's like, yeah, that's great supporting your spouse and your husband, you know, but it's like, what are you pushing him towards? Y- you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: And I just, it just made me really sad.
0: And it's to kind of play off of that, you know, the last time that we saw a similar scene, you know, she was that emotional support for Ben and it's such a good character thread that she's right back to being supportive again you know, she may not have the full context of everything that's wrong, but she knows Ben and she knows how to see he's not right. And that's where the good. Um, would you almost call it like the irony of the tragedy is that she doesn't know what she's pushing him to, but because she's been because that's the loving, supportive person she is, it's hard to watch her do this even though that's the quote-unquote right thing to do because she obviously loves Ben. Yeah. My final part on note on that is, man, I'm not ready for the end of this episode. No,
1: yeah, I get that. Yeah. But it's tough. And and I resonated, you know, or I really identify with this scene just because thinking about, well, I mean, being married and thinking about my own wife and the support, you know, we try to give each other, you know, seeing it through other family members, aunts and uncles that are married, my mom, you know, and stepdad, my dad, stepmom, and just seeing all of that, you know, and and yeah, and it just,
0: it was rough. It's hard. It's, uh, I wasn't gonna say this because I I, I felt redundant because I already talked a little bit about it with this Vanessa, but I'm gonna I, I think you kind of stepped into it, and I I, I want to hammer home the point to put this into context of them interacting. We've only seen two scenes with Doris and Ben. And they've done more with making that relationship real than anyone else in this show, I think. And it's, it's a testament to both those actors oh, yeah. that they can they can pull that emotion and have us relate to loved ones. Are you know viewing other family relationships?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, they like they, for his little screen time, they had the chemistry there that really pulled it off.
0: We're getting closer and closer to the end of this episode, so I, I guess I'll we'll just keep keep on pressing forward. We're getting yeah. there. After Ben leaves the hospital, Ben is on the phone with Karen where he does inform her the same information about being let go. Uh, she questions what they're going to do next, but, you know, Ben assures her everything's going to be fine and that he's going to start a blog. Uh, he's incredibly optimistic about it, and that's where the phone call with him ends, and... Karen's left alone at the office and is startled by the fact that Matt shows up and they have their own separate conversation as well. Again, these scenes have a lot of meat to them. it, It was hard trying to figure out how to break them down.
1: So, to start... With this conversation between Ben and Karen, where he says he's going to write, he's going to get it out there, start a blog. I don't feel like these characters really know how difficult it is to start writing like in a blog. You can't just put one story out there and expect to have a whole bunch of readers. (laughs) Um, It's a lot harder than it sounds from our own personal experience with this podcast, you know trying to to get the word out. <laughs> right. It, 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 you can't just hit send and, and there it is. Mm-hmm. Even with a name like Ben Eric.
0: I, you know, maybe it is a testament to how they've been tracking this irrelevancy with, you know, being in a dying medium and switching over to a new medium. It, it shows just how little he <laughs> knows about it. <laughs>
1: So so yeah, that was that was my first thought out of that out of that phone call.
0: To, while we're still in this part with Ben and, and Karen, I do want to say there is so much dread in these scenes with Ben as yeah. he's walking to the car. Um, well, he's already and, been startled
1: what, twice, right? and you're just waiting for it to happen again.
0: Yeah, it, it, they've trained us, uh, even if we don't know back when I asked who called Fisk, I'd like to think there is a subconscious level of us that kind of, you know, we're uneasy about the fate of Ben because it's been a, a subject of who was last with Wesley. Right. And so the way they frame some of these shots with being the camera being inside his car, watching him walking up to it or the way the camera's just kind of like uh, bifurcating the scene with him above the car hood and and just everything else being blocked by the car, not knowing what's coming from behind him. Mm-hmm. They did I, I'm so scared.
1: Yeah, they do. <laughs> I've you seen what, the
0: episode and I'm scared.
1: We've seen this a lot where when they want to convey a sense of suspense or dread, you know, even that quick sequence with Claire and you know mm-hmm. somebody's about to get her and you're just waiting for when it happens, like they, they've done time and time again with this series really good of those types of sequences.
0: So switching over to the the Matt and Karen section of these the scene, um I find it funny that both Matt and Foggy are super creepy in this episode. I know it's for effect because they're trying to give us that sense, again, that sense of no one is safe. But I find it funny it's happened twice in this episode with each character. At the beginning where Foggy startles Karen by still being in the office late at night. And then here with Matt wrestling with the door handle. It never would have happened if it wasn't for them just trying to create this effect. Like even the jacket that Foggy was wearing was so out of character. But they did it to give him some bulk and feeling of unfamiliarity.
1: Yeah, they've done a really good job. Like like I just said, having that and building that tension all the way through. Okay, I felt conflicted about this scene. Okay. I felt like this scene was really good and really well done by Charlie Cox, mm-hmm. right? And just this talks about stick, I know this guy, he tells me to push people away, but he's like I can't be alone, and then Karen goes there to comfort him. Like I thought it was really well done. However, I don't think it hit me as hard as the creators would have were hoping that it would hit because I know what Karen's carrying with her
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and so it's just like I get Matt's the main character he's our title character Daredevil you know it's a big emotional moment for him and Charlie Cox does it well
2: mm-hmm. but
1: I'm like Karen murdered somebody at the end of last episode yep. and we're about twenty four hours from the event now mm-hmm. she is carrying a in a weird way just as much or more so than Matt <laughs> um and, and and like and while they dealt with it in that opening scene before the credits mm-hmm. and you see the tension of her locking the door and being scared the rest of the way through it, it was almost like I want Matt to have this emotional scene, so we're gonna have that and and we're gonna set the emotional baggage aside for Karen here. You know, mm-hmm. and, and like that's how I read the scene. And so it just not to take anything away from Charlie Cox because it's fantastic, but it just didn't like that was still lingering in the back of my mind.
0: Yeah, it, it should have been her catharsis, not his. Like it wasn't yeah. like you said, he's title character. We've been dealing with it. I think his revelation probably should have been in the season finale and it should have been we should have been able to interpret maybe what he's feeling through him consoling her. If That makes sense. Right. You you flip that around and that's a little bit more cohesive with the story they told within this episode. Yeah. To kind of play within that similar space. uh, You know, I, again, was very vocal about not liking the stick episode and I still don't. But I got to give credit where it's due. Without that episode, it wouldn't have hit as hard as it does to realize that Matt's unwillingness to make amends is less about the fight between Foggy and Matt but more about trying to take advantage of an easy way to push everyone away for safety. Yeah. That, I think, kind of informs the feeling of childishness that I was getting in those earlier scenes, mm-hmm. is that he just, he wants everyone to be safe, and this is an easy out for him to do that. And it's what Stick did, mm-hmm. right? Like, yep. oh, you gave me the the bracelet, I'm leaving. And continuing that thread, I mean, and I, I said we talk about it here. I had a rebuttal. Um, you ask, did Karen get away with lying? I don't know if it was her getting away with lying and bypassing the 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 human lie detector test. So much of it being Matt not wanting to involve her or get involved in hopes that she stays away, like keeping her at arm's length, so that he can protect her in this very stick push everyone away mantra.
1: Hmm, that's a good thought. That is a good thought. Because because mm-hmm. if he's if he's if it is the case that he's taking this easy way by pushing people away. And his actions, as you said in the beginning, which would kinda of lend to that. My my main counter to that would be they didn't give us an indication that Matt knew there was something else going on. And he let it go. Otherwise like that's that's the only thing I have to come back to that mm-hmm. to try to, to to continue the thought that, yeah, she got away with lying to him. But I think for the context of what they're trying to do with Matt's character, and I think I think you're you're right. It makes more sense to, to read it that way than to say she got away with lying.
0: Do you have any more for this scene or should we move to the next one?
1: No, I'm sorry. I'd like to stall it for you, but I can't. To stall it? Yeah. It's the last scene. It's the one we've been avoiding. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, I'll set it up. Well, we, uh, I feel like I've been dragging my feet, but we are finally here in the final scene. Ben returns home with his box of things and you know he begins to briefly reminisce about the pieces that he's wrote for the bulletin. And, and after that walk down memory lane, he does get settled down at his computer and pours himself a drink. He looks towards a photo of his wife and himself and then begins typing away. But as he's writing, the camera pans up and reveals that Wilson is in his apartment. Wilson details, all the ways in which he admires Ben, but he could not let him get away with the fact that he involved Wilson's mother.
1: Okay, um, Yeah, first note, Ben is off his game this episode. Um, mm. And I do, like, I do like the camera work. I liked how you mentioned the camera work of all the other scenes as a whole to kind of build that tension. The way they were able to reveal Fisk through the camera work was really, really well done.
0: And I meant to go double-check it, but I think as Ben is sitting you can see Fisk in the background briefly. But I forgot to double-check that. I wish I would have confirmed that. Mm. But they—they they were they, even even if that's not the case, they've done such a great job of laying down that sense of um, insecurity that it, yeah. it, it heightens when they actually reveal that Wilson's there. Yeah.
1: Well, okay, just a quick note on how much we loved the Bin character. I actually have a note that says, I feel like this was Karen's fault. And, yeah. you know, when you start talking about stages of grief... And you have this anger, and you try to like place blame. I, I in a weird way, I feel like that's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I got a note here that kind of ties into that a little bit with the stages of grief, the way the emotions that we go through. You know, tying back to what I said in the opener, it's effective on the show's part to do the fake out in the beginning because even if it feels like double dipping, where we have Fisk in the beginning, turns out that he is just a figment of, of Karen's imagination, and then you have here Fisk in Ben's apartment, but for real this time. Uh, you know, subconsciously, we're searching for any conceivable out for Ben because he's a character that we love and he's been placed in a dire situation. Logically, we know he's about to meet his end, but emotionally, we're trying to grasp for some shred of doubt that this is another fake out too. And I thought it was good that they employed it in the beginning to have it hit home here.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, I just looked it up. Five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance.
0: And I think maybe that the the subconsciously looking for an out could be that bargaining that we were feeling.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm I'm just going to I liked how he didn't give up Karen in a weird way. I, I was wondering, like, is and I think he's acted well enough to do this, you know, was his facial expressions kind of like this aha moment back to when Karen said, hey, I think they know. Did like he have mm-hmm. like I wonder did Ben's character have this realization? They're like, oh, they did know, or Karen was right. Now I will say like the most of my notes are gonna be like this sense of frustration to give you an idea how much we and I love this character. Most of my notes have all of those those things, This anger, you know. Karen knew that Fisk knew, but didn't say,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And I said I would bring this back up from there is like. You knew, but you weren't willing to tell how and that would have made a huge difference,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Yeah, we know that Wesley didn't tell anyone, but they've been working together. Like, it just doesn't seem like the thing that you keep to yourself, that they're on to us, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so in that sense, I was, like, completely putting the blame on Karen. Now, I don't know if the show creators wanted us to have that feeling, like, towards Karen specifically. But I definitely had that feeling, you know, at at this moment.
0: I think there may be some level of it, of them wanting us to feel that, because that is the tragedy, similar to the way that Doris was being supportive and pushing him forward, even though we, the audience, knew what that meant. She didn't. You can argue there is a level of Karen should know about what the threat of Fisk knowing is. But to get back to what I'm trying to say, you know, Fisk makes it a point to say, I admire your integrity. When we first met Ben, that informant was was praising Ben for never dragging his family through the papers like everybody else did. Right. And so we get to this point. You know, it doesn't justify it by any means, but it's tragic that Ben's downfall is the fact that the family got involved finally. And it wasn't his choice, but he was still a part of it. And because of that, that's what's been undoing. Yeah. And that's that's kudos for the writers for carrying that through from the beginning to the end. No,
1: that that's an excellent point because it wasn't his choice. He was convinced that you know he said it wasn't uh, good information. He didn't have enough sources. He was convinced to go with it anyways. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I, I, that's fantastic. That 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 what gave him such integrity um, was not doing what other reporters do, and that downfall. You know, and maybe that's part of the larger theme because it comes back here. Uh, we mentioned this old media, new media. You know, Fisk goes on a Wesley-esque rant, diatribe, whatever, about real issues don't matter. It's all about cat videos and texting. I, I have weird thoughts on that, 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 little, uh, that little thing, but...
0: It felt heavy-handed.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it did. It felt like a really weird, like... Tongue lashing at the audience, kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it felt less in character and more like the mouthpiece for a viewpoint of the creators.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but even that pairs well if, as Ben brings in family and slips into the internet, the vile thing that that is that you know, <laughs> you're using to listen to this podcast, um, you know, and watch the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, but it is Ben slips into that and away from what he did, and that was part of his downfall. And the final shot was heartbreaking, where the camera just lingers on um the photo of Ben and his wife um, mm-hmm. with the broken glass on the floor,
0: and Fisk stepping on it.
1: Yeah, as he steps on it, which which was a good which was a good shot because he steps on everything, yeah, in, in one way or another.
0: And if we're going down that route, another you know Ben represents truth, and the fact that we've seen Fisk kill people before, I don't think we've ever seen him strangle somebody at the throat. In you can have that read of like you know here, it's not exactly subtle, but having Fisk choke truth out of existence, right. it's just. That's no, oh, yeah, God. yeah. Back to back weeks, we watched our two favorite characters of the season meet their end. I know, I, it. I know, and you know, and you brought up the point about how the Wesley and Ben were two very experienced and principled people in, in earlier episodes of this podcast. Yeah. It was kind of like putting Matt in the middle of these two. I wonder how I don't know if thought out, but how fitting it is that both those characters who were these. Not necessarily role models morality wise, but m- role models of how you conduct your your business. Yes. Meet their end in this penultimate episode.
1: Right. Well, and they meet their rest end. Rest in peace, Ben. Yeah. Rest in peace, Ben. Well, and they met their end um, in a weirdly out of character way. Well, I mean, I don't know. Wesley wasn't completely out of character. We said his hubris would be his downfall, and it was. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe that wasn't as out of character, but but clearly, as we as as I think we both agree. That the the Ben route was, he goes out of character, and so that brings about his demise.
0: I think, because again, I I, I don't know what's in store. I hope that this effect of Ben is carried moving forward. Like I want to see Karen wrestle with it a little bit. Like I, not not in a malicious way. I just want to see how this affects her moving forward. If she right. puts together her actions leading towards his death.
1: Right. Well, that is for next week, and I did not watch ahead this time.
0: Ah, oh, hey, I, I'm, I'm happy. I have kept to week to week watching. Like I was so tempted to jump yeah. into the next episode.
1: Now, in fairness, when I did watch ahead, it was usually just the scene before the opening credits.
0: <laughs> that's true. Well, I think that's gonna do it. Do you have any overall thoughts?
1: You know what? Um, God, it was just such a downer episode because of Ben. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: they just laid the yeah. seeds for that all the way through. Um, and so, in, in that way, it was just such a downer episode. Um, I felt like we're, and we we even took moments to pause to talk about it. We we're really critical of this episode, but it, it it's not like it turns me off to like I'm never watching Daredevil again. Uh, no, right. I'm I'm gonna come back to the show again. You know,
0: it's not the final season of Game of Thrones. <laughs>
1: That's <sighs> <laughs> no, it's nowhere close. Separate podcast. Yeah, no, nowhere close. <laughs> well, again, side all these side notes for this episode, your other podcasts that you had when Game of Thrones was going on Uh to listen to you track that season live as it came out and the descent of excitement to anger and frustration, that alone was worth listening to the podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And to not, to not go too far down this rabbit hole, just to, to illustrate what you're saying. We had a member of the podcast, one of my good friends, Chelsea. She was so upset by the finale. She couldn't even bring herself to be under the podcast because she was just like, she was hurt by the show. And it was just me and my other friend, Chris, discussing yeah. <laughs> it. <laughs> we lost a member of the podcast because of it.
1: Yes. No, we're sticking around and we're going to yeah. watch Daredevil again. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. But getting back on track, I, I think for me overall... Being the penultimate episode of the season, I think I was expecting more. Uh, it, it definitely had that a cadence, and I'm not upset with it. I, it's just a little underwhelmed, and that's disappointing given that mm-hmm. this episode handles the exit of one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, honestly, the, my biggest takeaway is here's hoping that the finale can wrap things up and bring us home with the final B cadence of the season.
1: And and I think they do. I think they do.
0: Yeah. I remember, I don't remember specifics, but I remember finishing that first season of Daredevil like, oh, my God, I can't wait for the next one. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that's going to do it for our discussion of Season 1, Episode 12 of Daredevil. But, of course, you know we cannot leave without doing our question of the week.
1: Trey. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit more topical and i are going to go with Daredevil. Uh, recently, in the past couple of days of this recording, the big show from WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, has come mm-hmm. out and saying he would like to, or feels like he's a shoe-in to play Kingpin in the MCU if they do a recast. Do you think, because we've been on and on about how you you take Charlie Cox, right, as Daredevil, uh, in mm-hmm. fact, you take Matt and Foggy as a pair, you can't recast either of them. Do you think mm-hmm. Fisk can come with them? Or do you think we should do a recast? Or would it be okay to do a recast?
0: You cannot recast Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, he has, the, the MCU proper has done such an incredible job of Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. Yes. Chris Evans is Steve Rogers. Vincent D'Onofrio is Kingpin. Like, you cannot cast him with somebody else. Um, you know, we've already seen a, a precedent for wrestlers turned actors in an MCU with Bautista mm-hmm. as Drax. Yeah. But I, you, even if you don't want to keep everything that's happened in the Daredevil series, it's just too perfect not to bring him back.
1: Right, right. I'm with you. I don't... <sighs> My no. ki- the the Big Show has a show. And I don't mm-hmm. remember what it's called. I think it's called The Big Show or The Show where he's a family man, you know, and kind of plays into it. I'm a former wrestler family man on Netflix. It's a funny show, and they my kids love it, but no, man, you, you can't recast that. Vincent's Vincent Fisk, mm-hmm. you know. Now, it's weird to say that. And here's why I think it's weird to say that sometimes, because we're about to get the Batman, mm-hmm. and it's... The, clearly, that's been recast. Um, actually, even recast within its own franchise, if you take Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, um, a- as continuations of what Tim Burton started with Michael Keaton. So, it's been done, but it just... Man, the continuity of the MCU has just been done too well. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know. I like Ben, the Ben Affleck... Affleck Affleck uh version of Batman and Bruce Wayne. I I thought it went well. Um some people, you know, and you can have debates of that. Uh but I'm with you like like Vincent's Fisk.
0: Yeah. Side note, I just wanted to say I would argue Ben Affleck is the best Batman and the worst Batman movie.
1: You can argue that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I liked them a lot. But I don't I don't think any of his any of the problems of Batman versus Superman or Justice League was because of Ben Affleck.
1: Well, no, no, no. I completely agree with you on there. I just Michael Keaton's my Batman because that's the one I saw in 89, fifth grade, you know. So like I even take Keaton over Christian Bale.
0: I just wanna say this. I know we've done so many tangents. One of my favorite moments between you and I in the last couple of years is at a family holiday party, we were playing that game where somebody has uh, like an index card with a subject on it and mm-hmm, they don't mm-hmm. see what it is, but you have to like give that person clues to figure out who it is. And it was my mom who was holding the card up to her head and you and I were trying to give her clues to figure out what it was. And the the, the subject was Michael Keaton. And without missing a beat, we both went to, to superheroes to relate this information to her, except yeah. I said Vulture and you said Batman and then you and I just like looked at each other for a second. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I think about that so much. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I'm with you. No, we can't recast on that one. He
0: has nope. to he has to stay. I he's more than earned it. But yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. If you'd like to chime in on whether or not you've recast Kingpin, or if you'd like to give your own thoughts for season one, episode 12 of Daredevil, you can always reach us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you'd like to write an email, MCU Need to Know at gmail.com.
1: And please give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast player you have. It really helps us out in growing the show and growing the audience. Um, and the best way to help us grow the show, grow an audience is to share with a friend. That way you can have someone else right there to have a conversation with and someone else that we can have a conversation with.
0: Yeah. Keep that conversation going. And of course, we'd also like to give a special thanks to Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song. You can find his SoundCloud in the description with a lot more original music as well. So yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you everybody for listening and thank you for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week with the final episode of Daredevil. Yes, last one. Bringing it home. Mm Bye-bye. So, after the car drive with, I almost called him Whisk. (laughs) (laughs) We have Wexley, Moggy, Whisk. Kevin.
1: Kevin.
2: (laughs) Uh. (sighs) All right.